I've preached to you over the past several weeks along with Aaron and with Todd about being a life-changing church and making disciples and what that looks like. We've talked about love, grow, serve, give, go. And I want to finish that series by talking with you about being a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Um, Charles, I was wondering if you ever met H.H. Cunningham. H.H. Uh, Cunningham came to Mission Baptist Seminary years and years ago. Um, he would be much older than you. He was probably there before you. But he was a farmer from Tennessee. He was my pastor at Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama. I loved the man, but he only had one sermon. Now, he would preach from different texts, you understand, David. He would preach from here, and he would preach from there. But somewhere along the way, he would always get to Matthew chapter 18. So I've got H.H. Cunningham written in just about every Bible I own beside those verses. I've, I've got... Papa Rayburn, written beside the verse that says, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Gail, that's what my grandfather, Brother Rayburn, by the way, that's why I've never been Brother Rayburn. I've always been, at the, at the best, Brother Lynn. Aaron has started calling me Pastor Lynn, and that's, that's a term of respect, and, and, and that's okay, but the people who really love me, Call me Lynn, and that's okay. That's, I like that. You can do that. It's okay. But don't call me Brother Rayburn because I'll turn around looking for my grandpa. And, and when I surrendered to preach, Rita, I thought Papa Rayburn would be really proud. So I told him I've surrendered to preach. And Larry, he quoted that verse to me. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. I thought, man, that's encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> when I went to seminary, there's a verse that, that I have, Robert Ashcraft. Now, I know you know Robert Ashcraft. Robert Ashcraft at seminary in Florida would always say, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you. That's encouraging. That's really encouraging. But the verse I told you that H.H. H. Cunningham, I surrendered to preach to the ministry under the preaching of H.H. H. Cunningham. And he would quote us again, again, and again. I mean, he would, he would do this so often that one time Joyce, a six-year-old girl, turned to her mama and said, haven't we heard this sermon before? Yes, darling, we've heard this sermon before. Matthew, 20, Matthew 16 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I do have a PowerPoint, don't I? Um, for whatever... What will it profit a man, get this, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give 
in return for his soul. He shared that verse in part and in whole time after time after time. God was calling me to preach and I held on to the pew there. Uh, I know where those pews are. They're, they're at the youth camp in Alabama now in the tabernacle. And one of those pews, Kelly, has my handprint squeezed into the top rail of the pew that was in front of me. What shall it profit a man? If you're going to be a follower, take up your cross. Gail, I've used this illustration before. I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I, I really began to understand what that meant when I was building fence for my rancher deacon in Florida. We were setting a, a corner post that the gate hangs upon. And Corey takes a huge post to do that. And they had left me there by myself to dig the, the hole for the post. And I'm standing waiting and I'm thinking, how long am I going to wait? Well, that was back in my <clears throat> weightlifting days. And Shelly, I got at the end of that 250 pound plus pole and walked it up. But then what do you do? And I bear-hugged that post, squatted and lifted that post, and dropped it in the hole. Now, Nancy, I had Chriso. These kids don't know what Chriso is. I had a Chriso burn on my cheek because I had literally hugged that post. And in that moment, I realized that's what it means to take up your cross. Embrace your cross. Now listen, there are some of you who will do what we've been preaching. Love, grow, serve, give, go. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, I want you to do that more and more. And we need radicals. Radical followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to be a radical follower. Now, I understand not everyone will be, but I want you to understand that anyone can be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. So, what does a radical follower of Jesus Christ look like? Well, people who are radical followers of Jesus are people who are sold out for Jesus. Sold out for Jesus. I'm happy to have my wife back in services today. And she can see now those beautiful eyes that I fell in love with years ago are no longer obscured by glasses. I told her this past week, you are my most prized possession. Now, some of you have been listening so much to the feminist that you will rebel against that notion. But let me tell you something. She's mine, and I'm hers. And you say, I don't like that model of marriage. Well, I'll tell you what. When you get to the point that you've been married for 51 years like we have, then you tell me what works for you. I'll tell you what works for me. She's mine, and she is my most prized 
possession. I was praying for her. This week, she had her second cataract surgery. For those of you who don't know what in the world I'm talking about, she had her second cataract surgery on Monday. Catherine, I was praying for her, and I said, Lord, take care of my Brenda. Take care of my Brenda. And he whispered in my ear, okay, but you know she's really mine, don't you? There's, a, there's some depth to that story, and I apologize to you who have heard it before. But in 1982, we wrote God a blank check. In 1983, I was doing deputation to go to Kenya, East Africa as a missionary, taking my family, my darling wife, my 10-year-old daughter, my 5-year-old son, 9-year-old, 5-year-old, 10-year-old, 6-year-old, depending on when in 1983 it was. And I, I thought, I have made a commitment. I have given myself to the Lord. I'm sold out. And I remembered, you know, when we were doing our survey in May of 1983, one of the missionaries on the field said, don't bring anything to Kenya that you could not leave behind. Because Joe, they just had a coup attempt People had been killed. No missionaries, thankfully, but a lot of the Kenyans had been killed. And they said, don't bring anything to Kenya you couldn't leave behind. Larry, I've, they were talking about grandma's quilts that are keepsakes, your best china, you know, things like that. Don't bring those things because you may have to leave in a moment's notice and flee the country. Don't bring anything to Kenya that you couldn't leave behind. I was here speaking at Missionary Baptist Seminary, and Charles, they had a book in the library called The Congo Martyrs about missionaries who were martyred, who were killed in the Congo Rebellion, the Simba Rebellion in the Congo in the 60s. And Corey, all of a sudden, it dawned on me, I'm taking, this is the country, this is the region I'm taking my family to. And that advice, Mark, of don't, Amber, don't, don't take anything to Kenya that you couldn't leave behind. Suddenly, it washed over me. That means my wife and my children. And David, in my mind, my heart, Michelle, I had an image burned into my mind of a, an acacia tree with three graves at the bottom. And it just about sunk my ship. Brock, I thought I was sold out to God. Charlotte, I didn't know whether I could go or not. I was alone on the road. Brenda didn't know about any of this. I told her later. And I agonized over that for nearly a week. And I prayed to God, what do I do now? God said, if they're dependent upon you taking care of them, you're in trouble, and so are they. You better give them to me. And I gave my family to God. And I've tried never 
to take them back. Now, some of you will hear that and say, oh, that makes sense, and you'll go on. No, you do not understand the depth of my commitment and the overwhelming emotion that was involved. You have no idea how serious I am that I put their very lives in the hands of God. That is what it means to be sold out to God. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You're already doing it. But he wants you to be radical and do it more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, what I see in those verses, people who are sold out for Jesus walk to please God. You receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. That means that every decision you make, whether, Dennis, it's what kind of floor to lay down, whether it is Chloe, the guy to marry, whether it is Mark, the car to buy, the house to buy, the job to take, it bothers me when people relocate at a whim because they have a better job offer. Your church ought to be more important to you than your job. You got a good church? You're going to move to a place where you can't find a church? You're in trouble. You need to be radical. You need to be sold out to God so that every decision you make... You want to please God. And you ask Him. And you follow His leadership as you make those decisions. That means following instructions. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, If you've been in this church, if you've been in fellowship class, the Barnabas class, the Other Blunt class, the teen class, the middle, if, if you have been in this church for any period of time, you have received practical instruction. And the day that I quit preaching practical sermons to you, and I just teach for knowledge rather than practice, you fire me, please. Retire me. It's important that when you come to this church in our classes and in these services, that you hear what you, not just what you need to know, but what to do, that you receive instructions for how to live to please God. Listen, the problem is not that we don't know what to do. Our problem is that we don't want to do what we know we should. Some of you have been hanging back, and I keep waiting some of you have said, I want to be involved. I want to get connected. I want to join. I want to follow the Lord. Some of you have put off following the Lord in baptism for years. Some have drifted away and come back and are drifting away again. It's not that you don't know what you ought to do. It is by our stubborn will, we don't want to do what we know is right. Follow the instructions. Be a radical. Be countercultural. Please God 
and not yourself, not your friends. Be radical. And he says, do it more and more. You're doing these things, but I want you to do it more and more. I know that not every one of you will be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. But any one of you can be. And if you ask God, do you want me to be a radical follower? His answer is yes. You say, how do I know that? Because you wouldn't ask. You wouldn't ask if it was not His will for you to be a radical not doing just enough. I went through high school doing just enough to get by. And the grades show it. I made better grades in college than I did in high school. I made the best grades in seminary. There's just something motivating when you answer God's call and you sell out to Him I was the best student I've ever been in seminary because I was sold out to God. God wants you to be a radical. Listen, Jesus gave everything for you. What are you willing to do for Him? Be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's, what's that mean? Be radical. People who are radical followers of Jesus are people who are set apart for God. He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word sanctification means holiness. It means being set apart for God. Things in the temple were taken and set apart for God's use. Listen, God saved you so that you could serve Him that you could belong to Him, that you could be His, that you could be set apart. And as you progress, some of you are just in the beginning of that walk. And I don't expect as much of you when you're in the beginning of your Christian walk as I do of those who've been at it for a while. The, I, we talk about progressive sanctification. Kim and Kim... You're back to back again. That's just cool to me. Progressive sanctification means the more you walk with him, the more you become like him. That's, that's what it's about. The more you walk with him, the more you become like him. Sanctification means holiness, and holiness means being set apart for God. And that is the will of God, your sanctification and the key to living a holy life is not to try harder oh I'm going to be holy I'm going to quit eating this and drinking that I'm going to wear certain clothes on certain days I'm going to work hard at being holy you ever tried that Casey's laughing you ever tried that does not work. What does work is in every moment and in every place you remember to whom you belong. We belong to Jesus. Do you? 
Do you belong to Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Have you come to Jesus in repentance and faith so that you belong to Him? Or does He belong to you? Religious people own Jesus. Ever thought about that? Religious people own Jesus, and they manipulate Him. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do that for me. I need you to serve me. I need you to be the magical elf on the shelf that gives me what I ask for. And if you give it to me, I might say thank you at least once. There's a difference in you owning Jesus and you admitting Man, I belong to him. I'm his. I said, she's mine, but I'm hers. And she will tell you that she is mine. Best wife I've ever had. <laughs> Do you belong to Jesus? You know what salvation means? It means that you recognize that you're not good enough to get into heaven and that you can't do life without Christ. And it's like you take your soul out of your body and you give it to Him. And from that moment on, you admit, I belong to Jesus. I'm not my own I belong to Jesus. Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Have you given yourself heart, mind, soul, body? Have you given yourself to Christ? That's why He died for you. To save you of your sins. That you might give yourself to Him. That you might be holy not because you're working hard at it, but because you always remember, I belong to Jesus. People who are set apart for God avoid sexual immorality. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Listen, we live in a day where sex sells. You turn it on TV and there is all sorts of sexual immorality. They promote living together without the benefit of marriage. I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you'd ever heard it this way or not. I hadn't until I said it. I thought it before I said it, but I didn't say it and then think it. But lust without a license is sin. That's not popular preaching today. Oh, we're going to live together and see how that works out. People talk about the divorce rate. You know what they don't talk about? Kelly, they don't talk about the breakup rate of kids who live together before marriage. It's something like 90%. So if you're going to live with a guy or a gal before you get married, you'll got, you have about a 10% chance of that working out. You don't play house without being married. You don't play house, play marriage 
without being married. That's sexual immorality. Carnal knowledge, having sex before marriage, is sexual immorality. Homosexuality is sexual immorality. Transgender is sexual immorality. Pornography is sexual immorality. We don't talk much about porn. But the real pandemic in the United States and the world today is not COVID. The real pandemic is pornography. Statistics indicate that 60% of the men in the church are struggling at some level in their lives with pornography. Modern statistics show that both men and women, especially millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, when they go to a Christian counselor, the Christian counselor presumes that no matter what reason they have come for treatment, they are also dealing with pornography. So I never thought the preacher would say porn from the pulpit. Sexual immorality. Abstain. Just cut it out. Get help. There is help available. The addiction to internet pornography is the real pandemic of our time. Abstain from sexual immorality. Keep yourself pure. Young ladies, young men, keep yourself pure. Save yourself for marriage. You'll be glad you did. Nobody ever got married and said, I'm glad I slept around. I promise. Save yourself for marriage. Number three, people who are set apart for God exercise self-control. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of, and passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not... Conform yourselves to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Give your body a living sacrifice, not a dead offering on the altar. That's not what we're asking for. I am crucified with Christ. This is not going to be on the screen. This is just Lynn and a verse that touches my heart. I'm crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live, people who are radicals of follower of Jesus Christ are people who excel 
in brotherly love. Notice the word excel. Listen, that's what all of this is about. I promise you, if you share biblical doctrine, the things that you're taught in this church with your friends and extended family, and you say to them homosexuality is a sin against God, you will be branded a radical, a racist, a homophobe. You'll be called all kinds of names. That's all right. Be radical. Be countercultural. If you say to your friends, no, I'm saving myself for marriage, you will be considered a freak, a radical, because what you're doing convicts them of the sin they're living in. That's all right. You be a radical. Excel in all these areas. But that also means excelling in brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9 and 10. This is ESV. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. That's the common phrase in all of this. Alice, that's where I got the term radical. You're doing it, but do it more and more. Man, be radical. Be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Don't do just enough to get by. Be radical about it. That means love God and love others. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I've done it 40 times in the past two and a half years. First and greatest commandment, Larry, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And the second is like it, just as important, and love others as you love yourselves. We've taught that. We've, taught, we, we've said that our prime directive is the great commandment, love God and love others. But he's saying in these verses as well, just like Jesus said, Love other believers. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Love other believers. I've, I have friends in other churches. I have friends in other denominations. I, especially in Kenya, had a network of missionaries of all faiths, and I loved them, and they loved me. Now, I did not have them preach for me, I didn't, they were not members of my church, and I was not members of their church, but we loved each other. We need to love the family of God. But I said to my Sunday school class, my small group this morning, the family of God's not the church. There, every member of the church who's been saved is also a member of the family of God. But there's a difference in the family of God and the church. And we need to remember, John, that this was written to a local New Testament church. So when he says you've been taught by God to love one another, he is saying you need to love your fellow church members. Notice what he says. Now, concerning brotherly love. Now, we don't brother and sister much here because that's church speak. Some of you have been around long enough. You've gotten into the habit 
of, of Samantha, you may have been brought up that way, brother and sister and people come in and from outside and they're unchurched. They didn't, Eric, they didn't grow up in church and they hear that and they say, is this a cult? Or is this a family? Is everybody here related to one another? Well, yeah, in Jesus. But I'm not much on brother and sister. I call Terry, Terry. I don't call him Brother Terry. If I ever called him Brother Terry, he would think something. Maybe I'd been struck by lightning or had a stroke. We don't brother and sister much because that is church speak. But understand, when he says brotherly love, he's talking about the, the congregation in Thessalonica. He's talking about church members loving other church members. Love one another. Love one another. That's what you're doing to all the brothers, the believers throughout Macedonia. But get this, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. We tend to forget that this was a letter to a local church with practical local application. Church members more than anyone else should love one another. I've had people in the past two years, I started my time with you. Any, anybody remember? Repent. Forgive. Healing. And unity. And I said I will be a strong leader, but a loving shepherd. And there's a secret to that. And I keep pounding this into my staff that as the staff goes, so goes the church. And the church imitates the actions, the personality, and the heart attitude of the pastor. If you don't have a loving pastor, you will not be a loving church. But I've had people, Becky, have come to our services and walk in and look around and it's like they're thunderstruck. Something has happened in this place. Sheila, you know what it is? Church members love one another again. There's trust. There's love. There's fellowship. I, I know it gets frustrating sometimes to the guys back in the booth when you don't want to go home you stand in here and you stand out in the lobby and you talk and fellowship and you laugh. Sometimes you laugh together, sometimes you cry together. Yeah? But you love one another. And there is a love in this church that I have not seen in years. God's done that. That's not me and that's not you that is the instruction of God and people following the leadership of the Spirit of God. And I'm just saying to you, be radical in your loving. Love each other more and more. Yes, I've seen your love, but be radical about it. Do it more. Do it longer. Do it always. Love one another. Listen to me. 
when church members truly one an- love one another, that draws others to become a part of that church. There are some of you who are sitting in the room today because you were drawn to faith in LR by the love that you saw in this place. And I thank God that you're here. I thank God that you were drawn by this. Be radical. Be radical. Love each other more and more. I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you the last point anyway. That's people who are steady and strong. Followers of Christ are people who are steady and strong. You just get the sermon outline. Charles, the last three weeks, I think every time I've preached, I've preached about three sermons in one. Here is the other sermon. Hang on. Okay? That means aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's, that's the outline. Here it is. Live quietly. That means don't be boisterous. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't have angry outburst. Be, live a calm and quiet life. Some of you are going to have to get off Facebook if, they, if you're going to do that. Some of you are going to have to learn to drive a different way if you're going to do that. Live quietly. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Mind your own business. One of the problems, the severe side effects of the COVID pandemic is that we've been led to believe that we're responsible for the decisions that, and that we, of others and that we can control their decisions. You are not in control of anyone. I can hardly control myself. Why would I think I can control you? And, you, and we're being told, if somebody else gets sick, it's your fault. You can't take responsibility for other people's decisions. And you need to stop trying to control people. That is a side effect and a dangerous one. We've given up freedom in the name of protection. And it's a lie. It's manipulative. He says, People who are steady and strong in their testimony, work hard. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands. Listen, hard work, you boys especially, listen to me. Hard work never hurt anybody. Oh, yeah, there were blisters and there were sore muscles, but hard work never hurt anybody. Hard work is honest work. The trouble is Christians who ought to be the best employees of all. Sam, Christians ought to be the best of employees. And sometimes Christians are the worst. And it ought not be so. Work hard. Do your job. Don't be overly dependent on others. That means move out of mom's basement. Get a job and let your parents launch you into successful adulthood. Now, I'm saying that, and some of you think I'm talking to the teenagers down here. Some of the people who need to hear this are 40 years old plus. 
and need to move out of mom's basement and need to step out and live on their own and prove that they can work and have a job and pay their bills and not be dependent. Here's the main thing. Be radical about your testimony. People are watching you. Be radical about your testimony. Make it your goal in life to live a quiet life. Listen, wherever you go, whatever you do, you represent Jesus. You belong to Him, and you represent Him. People are watching, and you need to be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to just bow your heads for a minute, right where you're sitting. Just bow your heads. Listen to me. Don't look up here. Look down. Think about what I'm saying. Examine your heart. What is it that Jesus has been telling you to do that you have not yet done? How long are you going to wait? How long? How long are you going to rebel against his leadership? Have you totally sold out to God? Is there a decision you need to make? Is there a commitment you need to make that God is asking of you? Will you do that today? Listen, will you admit that you belong to Him and will you commit to being a radical follower of Jesus Christ. I I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And Listen, guys, when I say that, I mean it. I want your eyes closed because I need to see this. Nobody else does, just God and me. How many of you would say, Brother Lynn, you've touched my heart. The Word of God has has touched me. The Spirit of God has moved me. And I want to commit today not to just do enough to get by I want to be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. Would you lift your hand? You don't have to lift it high. God is seeing this. You're making a commitment to Him. How many more would raise their hand say, I want to be a radical follower of Jesus Christ? I've told you this morning. Thank you. Put your hands down. I've told you this morning how to do that. Keep that commitment. Keep that commitment. Be Jesus' most prized possession. Father, I praise you and I thank you. Work in our hearts. Move in our church. Lord, there are those who need to make other commitments. And I pray that they'll come to Todd or to me in the lobby or here in the auditorium after the service and say, I need to be baptized or I need to be saved. I need to be a member of this church. Move on their hearts that they will make that decision today to your honor and your glory. Amen.